My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Trailhead, and um, I want to welcome you. We are beginning a new sermon series this morning. Um, it's actually kind of an extension of a sermon series that I preached a year and a half ago called Get Greedy. So this one's called Get Greedy-er. And um, we're going to be continuing on the theme of ultimately looking at how God's grace frees us uh, to generosity. And we're going to be going to Matthew 6 this morning. So grab your Bibles, flip over to Matthew 6. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one off the floor around you and uh, go ahead and flip over to page 811 in our Bibles um, to Matthew chapter 6 while you're flipping over there. Um, That Get Greedy series that I preached a year and a half ago, in it we spent five weeks looking at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which are really the central passage in the New Testament on giving. Paul is teaching the Corinthians about giving and the principles of giving and the principles of of, of um, how that is ultimately an act of worship, but also really an act of spiritual warfare in which as we give, we shape our hearts um, to engage grace. And, and um, the premise is this. I mean, this is the premise behind the series and the premise behind the title, that as we get greedy for the right things, it frees our hearts from greed for the wrong things, right? As we get greedy um, for things that really matter, love, the experience of grace, um, it frees our hearts from greed for the wrong things, right? My possessions, my reputation, my, my comfort. Um, the right greed frees us in, in beautiful ways. So this morning we're starting a new ser- sermon series called Get Greedy-er, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 6. And we're going to be sitting in Matthew 6 over the next four weeks. Uh, as we unpack the principles here, I was planning to go back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, um, but there was a last-minute audible as I just was sitting in Matthew 6, and it just came to life. And, and so this is where we're going to sit, and I'm looking forward to unpacking the principles here. So let's take a look at Matthew 6. We're going to begin by looking this morning at verses 19 through 24. All right, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of the Lord. All right, so before we jump in, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, A lot has happened in the last year and a half since we... um, started our, our capital campaign. A year and a half ago, we launched our capital campaign. It's called Rooted and Growing. The reason we named it that is, is really the goal is for us to get rooted in this community so that we can grow in ministry to our neighbors, so that we can reach out and, and in see an, in, an increased capacity to serve and to love people in the name of Christ and to ultimately um, introduce them to the beautiful work God has done for them in Christ. And that was for the purpose of getting a building. This space is temporary um, and, uh, and, and has been a bit of a challenge for us. 
Um, we targeted in that capital campaign $550,000. That was our goal to raise. We had prayed about it and done some research, and, and by faith, it kind of set that goal and put it out in front of our people. Um, by the time it was all said and done, we had $670,000 committed to it, which um, was just incredibly, overwhelmingly heartwarming for me because it was a, just a generous response from our people to the call to ultimately um, move forward, right? We had a, uh, a building in front of us at the time we thought we, God was going to give us. It was uh, a church here in town that at that point um, we had very, very good conversations about and thought we were moving toward purchasing. Um, the rug got pulled out from underneath that one. Um, God was totally in that, and that building was not the opportunity we ended up being able to pursue. Um, but what I said actually during the sermon series was, you know, we don't know that this is the sure thing. What we do know is that God's telling us to get ready. Um, less than a year later, another building suddenly became, um, open to us, one that we would have never predicted. And, uh, we did, we purchased it as, as I've shared. In fact, last week we invited people to go tour it. It's, uh, it's like 75 yards. That direction is right here in downtown Edwardsville, exactly where we want to be. And, uh, and it, and it is a great structure. Um, now it wasn't designed for our use. It was a fraternity and it was designed for a fraternal use. And so we are going to have to do some pretty significant um, renovations so that we can have kids space and more bathrooms. And, and so the, the, the large space upstairs can be uh, accommodated for um, our worship gatherings and things like that. Um, but that's in front of us, right? Um, in the last year and a half, we, right after we, we did our capital campaign, um, about six months later, we, we, we sent out our first daughter church. Um, which was a blast. We sent out Corey um, Johnston down into Collinsville, uh, and, and he started Heights Church. And, um, and so we're like, all right, everybody, um, come on in. We need, we need your generosity. And then we're like, okay, go on out and do this thing. Um, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, we then that summer sent out a team to uh, East Asia, um, some of the people we just spent time praying for. Um, and, and then, of course, we were able to, um, toward the end of the year, purchase the building. Now, here's the thing. We continue to grow. Even as we're sending out, we continue to grow, which means our folks are inviting their friends and inviting their neighbors. And, and that's exciting. It's a lot of fun. Two weeks ago, we got to, you have the, the summer slump. And then in the middle of August every year, we kind of have that spike when everybody comes back around. We had around 250 adults and around 100 kids um, a couple weeks ago. And, and if you were here, it just wasn't like Labor Day weekend. I mean, it was packed, right? It was full. Um, and, and the kids space was buzzing. Um, with with many, many children, which is awesome. But it just reinforces to us that need for us to get into a space that's equipped um, for what we want to do and um, for us to grow in. So I want to give you an update on the capital campaign, where we are. Um, we have already collected 300000 of the uh, the 670 that was pledged, which is right on track. Um, because people have moved or moved on, um, the amount that we currently have pledged has dropped to about 550. Okay. Now we predicted some of that. We didn't know how much it would drop, but you can pretty much count on the fact that over the course of three years, um, some people are not going to either be able to, or choose not to fulfill the, their pledge. Um, and so it's dropped to 550. And so we're, we're right on track. We have 300,000 of that. So in the last year and a half, we've been very busy growing and sending, and God has miraculously provided a building right here in downtown. We own it right now. Um, and this is going to allow us to put down roots in this community so we can grow in ministry to our neighbors. Um, but it does need rehab. It does need pretty extensive work inside. So here's the thing, you guys. We're kind of a historic crossroads of our young church. Um, we, have a, we have an opportunity in front of us 
And opportunities like this are often, they come in clothed in, in challenge, right? And so for us to take advantage of the opportunity, we have to face the challenge. And so what this means is two things. First, I want to clearly communicate to you um, what the opportunity is, right? We had an all-church meeting last week where we invited um, everybody to go through the building, look at it, tour it, and then come over here and talk about it. Um, there was a lot of excitement. And, and there were some questions that we're, we're, we're still working through, and, and we have much more clarity now. And so here's the thing. With, with 550 pledged, we know for us to do the full rehab of the building, we need to raise at least 100,000 more in pledges. So that's the challenge in front of us. We need to have another $100,000 pledged to the capital campaign. And and I would say for us to actually take advantage of this now and to move into that building before the spring growth um, and and before the spring opportunity of inviting our neighbors, um, we need to have that money pledged this month. And so that's what we're praying about. We're praying that God will provide another $100,000 in pledges. We have have 550,000 already pledged and and, and we need to see that um, grow. So I'm going to be asking you to pray. And, and, um, and, and some of you are already giving, and I want to say thank you to you. Um, our church, like I said, responded very generously a year and a half ago when we put this call out. And some of you committed, and you've been giving faithfully and sacrificially. And I, I just want to thank you and, and encourage you to, to keep up the good fight, right? Let's just keep right on going. Maybe you've gotten a little bit behind. You need to pray about how God's going to enable you to catch up on that. Um, that's a challenge that we're all facing. But let's, let's try to just go before the Lord and pray that God will equip us to fulfill our word, right? Um, the second thing is, is that some of you, God has prospered you over the last year. And, and you're in a better position financially now than you were then. And I'm going to put it out there. Maybe you should pray about giving more, right? Maybe God's going to stir your heart that maybe part of the prospering was, in fact, to increase your capacity for generosity. And so maybe God is calling you to, to give more. Uh, in the last year and a half, a lot of you have come and actually joined the church, become part of our gathering, and, and you weren't invited or part of the process in which we were inviting people in to this process. I'm going to put the invitation out there and ask you to join for the last year and a half. Right? We have half of the capital campaign left, and you have an opportunity in front of you to become part of, of this group that is, that is going to impact this community for generations to come. So I'm asking you to, um, to pray about that, right? Um, and so that's the first thing, the first thing. And I'll be exploring more, explaining more of that and giving more details as we go. The second thing that this does is it means that I get to preach on money. And I do mean that. I get to preach on money. I used to dread it. I hated it because I was always worried that people were going to like, um, I don't know, just equate us with, uh, you know, a lot of those guys that are on TV, honestly, that are just greedy as all get out in the wrong ways. And, um, and it became very apparent, like there was all those scandals in the 80s and the 90s and early 2000s. And, and I don't want to be associated with that. That's not who I want to be. But here's the thing. I've come to see... Um, that there are a few things that impact the vibrancy of our spiritual lives, like how we handle money. How we handle money is a spiritual issue. It is not just a financial one. It is not a personal one. In fact, many people are surprised to find out that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about love or heaven or hell or the three of them combined. he, He spent a considerable amount of time teaching about money. Why? Because what you treasure both reveals your heart and shapes your heart. It is a spiritual issue. And so I'm excited about this because I believe that it's an opportunity for us not just to move into a building, but to shape the people that will move into that building. 
that we might be a people that are becoming more and more engaged with grace and becoming more and more engaged with generosity and actually being transformed, that we won't just get into the building and say, yeah, we're here. We'll actually be able to get into it and be the right kind of people to use it ultimately for the good of our community. All right, so we're going to be looking at Matthew 6 and unpacking this. We're going to be looking at the, uh, really just the first three verses of our passage this morning where, where Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Um, here's, let's be honest, um, passages like this often sound good from a distance, um, but they really get kind of weird when you get up close to them. And that's because they're, they're really hard to work out in real life. You know what I'm saying? Like, like don't I spend most of my time in a sense, trying to lay up treasures on earth. I mean, most of us, we have jobs, we're working for money, we're, we have bills to pay, we, we have future expenses, right, that we're saving for, whether it's education or taxes or, or even retirement. What does that mean, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth, right? And what ends up happening is we read passages like this and they sound really hyper-spiritual. And, and so um, we kind of walk away going, you know, maybe there's a few people out there somewhere that are actually living this out, but it's not me. Maybe I am a little, maybe I can grow in it, but we, we end up kind of just walking away, I think, a little condemned. A little bit like, man, this, I, don't, I don't know that I can, you know, what is that whole thing? Don't lay up treasures. So I want to unpack this in a way that I want you to see that this isn't hyper-spiritual. It is, it is imminently practical for us. And in fact, it's essential for our joy and our well-being as followers of Christ, right? Jesus isn't unpacking something that's some ethereal good idea for somebody somewhere. This is vitally important for us here and now. So let's take a look at verse 19. We'll start there. Jesus says, and, and um, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So first of all, let's talk about what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to work hard, right? It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to make money. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to have a savings account or, or a retirement account. Um, he isn't endorsing what's commonly referred to as the poverty gospel, now, that may not be a phrase you're really used to hearing. We're much more used to hearing the phrase prosperity gospel. Those are two errors, biblical um, uh, twisting of, of, or twisting of the biblical teaching, right? The prosperity gospel is, is um, we're very familiar with that. Teachers basically say, look, God wants you to be happy, healthy, and, and uh, rich. And, and if you just follow these simple steps, God's going to prosper you financially. And, and he wants everybody to be rich and everybody to be healthy. And, and, and as a result, you're supposed to give me money. And as you give me money, that seed faith will expand to your benefit. And you'll become rich like me, right? That's how it's often presented. And, and that really is a distortion of the gospel, um, and, and it needs to be confronted. There's another one that is less noticeable, but just as, as dangerous to the effect of the gospel, and that's the poverty gospel. The poverty gospel just simply says you're more spiritual if you have less. You're more spiritual if you're more poor, right? The, the, the most spiritual among us are the poorest among us. They're the ones that, that live most sacrificially. They're the ones that, that, that don't own nice things, right? Um, if you believe in the po- poverty gospel, you start judging people based on what they wear or what they drive or the quality of their watch or, or, or how much money you perceive them to have. Because if they seem to be wealthy, you assume they're not spiritual, right? The, the poverty gospel is, is very um, active and alive in the activist circles. 
where there's this subtle idea that we're the only ones really following Jesus. We're the ones out here so poor. You know, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I'm spiritual. Um, that's unbiblical, you guys. It's just not, it's not biblical. If Jesus were saying that we had to be poor to be spiritual, he would be contradicting the previous 1,600 years of biblical teaching. That is not the consistent message of the scripture. In fact, let me just show you a few things. This is from Proverbs chapter 10. Solomon writes, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Now, obviously, these verses don't praise being wealthy. They're, they're actually praising um, a diligent work ethic, right? This idea that, that you're going to be tempted at times to, to sleep, to put personal comfort above self-discipline and productivity, and you need to overcome that. Right? Solomon is saying a wise person overcomes the temptation to self-indulgence and instead works hard. But, but what is the reward that he floats out in front? Those who work hard grow in wealth. There's a sense in which that's the natural outcome and part of the incentive of the labor. We work hard under the assumption that when we do, there will be an increased reward um, paying us back. Right? That there will be increased wealth. Take a look at this. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Now, what's being condemned here? It's not the gathering of wealth. It's the get-rich-quick scheme. The greedy approach to wealth that says, I can skip all that hard work. I can skip all that diligence. I can skip all that self-denial that, that normally you have to go through in order to accumulate wealth and to work your way up. Uh, I'm going to skip all that and just go to the, quick rich, the, the get rich quick scheme. And, and he's saying, don't do that, right? Again, he's not condemning wealth. He's condemning an inappropriate way to try to gather. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. In other words, he accumulates enough wealth that it can be both a blessing to his children and his children's children. Now, these aren't laws. They're principles. So that doesn't mean every single person is actually called to store up this much wealth. You, 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 it's not like you're disobeying God or dishonoring God if God calls you into a, a kind of life or a style of life where you don't accumulate that kind of wealth, right? Otherwise, Jesus and Paul and, and many others would, would be condemned, right? They lived really just hand to mouth because that's what God was calling them to do. So it's not like you have to accumulate wealth to honor God, but what I want you to see is that it's not a dishonoring God to God to do so. It is, in fact, the normal outcome of uh, labor and work, right? So these are principles, not laws, and, um, and ultimately God gives everyone the opportunity to work and uh, the desire to benefit from that work, and there is nothing inherently wrong with the wealth that we accumulate. So what is Jesus saying here? If he's not saying earthly wealth is bad, when he says don't accumulate or don't uh, set aside treasures, these earthly treasures. If he's, if he's not saying they're bad, what is he saying? Well, literally, what the verse says is don't treasure your treasures. Don't treasure your treasures. What he's saying is work hard. Save, invest, grow your wealth. But don't fall in love with your wealth. 
It's not wrong to, to work hard and accumulate, but it is wrong to treasure your treasure, to look at it as ultimately your most treasured thing. Don't get greedy for the wealth that you accumulate and the wealth you hope to accumulate. Don't foster strong feelings of affection for what you own and what you have and what you hope to own. Don't foster a growing need and discontent for more. More of what you hope to have and more of what you think you need. So in other words, what he's saying is, is don't love your money and don't lust for more. Well, why not? <laughs> I mean, really, why not? What's so bad about loving your money? I mean, you work hard for it, right? You labor diligently. You, you work honestly. You accumulate it through, through good. What's wrong with, with loving your nest egg and, um, and, and wanting more? Because he goes on in verse 9. Take a look at uh, 19. Look at the end of the verse. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, or don't treasure your treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The first and most obvious reason that we shouldn't is that it is very short-sighted, right? Moth and rust, um, during this period of time, during Jesus' time, people would accumulate things uh, that were of wealth, like cloth. Um, We don't think of it that way today because um, cloth is inexpensive. But dyed cloth especially was expensive. That's why kings um, wore purple robes. Purple dye was incredibly difficult and expensive to make. And so it was a sign of real opulence and wealth when somebody had um, purple cloth. And so when people had this cloth, they would store it and save it, right? But the problem was you, you go lock it up and then you come back many years later and like, oh, look at my wealth. And, and it's been breeding moths, right? It's got holes eaten in it and, and it has decayed, right? Rust sets in. Things, uh, the second law of thermodynamics affects everything you own and, and it moves into a state of, of uh, decay, right? Thieves break in and steal. Literally, it says thieves dig in. Because during this period of time, what would happen is people would actually dig holes and then they would make these, these brick, um, like clay brick enclosures, and that's where they would store their wealth. And so they would dig these holes in the ground and they would store their wealth down there and, and they thought it was secure. And yet anybody with um, a pickaxe and a little motivation could ultimately get in there, right? It was an illusion of security. So the moth will destroy, the rust will destroy, the thieves will literally dig in and steal your treasure. So if your ultimate treasure is in this kind of wealth, you are short-sighted because it is temporal in value and in existence. Now, obviously, we don't do the same thing today, but it still applies, right? The stock market's going to fall and potentially at times uh, catastrophically. Your money is going to face an inflationary devaluation. Your car, your house, your boat, whatever it is that you're investing in that are signs of your your wealth and power or your uh, objects of of this is my ultimate pleasure, they're going to decay. They're going to fall apart. 
right? All you got to do is look around. Go to the go to the uh, uh, the salvage yard, and you will see all of of the uh, the luxury cars of yesteryear rotting in the field, right? Go to North County, you're going to see luxury uh, homes, opulent homes, just decaying because there were con- there were th- factors outside of the homeowner's control that that ultimately led to to the decay and the breakdown of their wealth. Don't treasure your treasure. It's, uh, it's kind of dumb because it's short-sighted. But he's saying a lot more than that. He's saying a lot more than that. Take a, line, take a look verse down. <laughs> take a look down at verse 21. I've got to slow my tongue down here. All right, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, when you treasure your treasure, you're going to love it. Right? You're going to love it. You're going to set your affection on it. But Jesus is actually getting to something much deeper than a discussion about your affections. What he's saying is, is wherever you bury your treasure, you bury your heart. In other words, what you treasure is what you invest in and come to see as truly and ultimately valuable. You will come to look at your treasure to meet your heart's deepest needs. You'll come to worship it, in other words. In the Old Testament, there was this thing called the drink offering, and it was a powerful metaphorical image of what worship actually is. They would come and simply pour a drink out on the altar. And when we're worshiping, that's what we're doing. We're pouring ourselves out to something with the expectation that we're going to get something in return. When we worship something, we pour ourselves out to it. We sacrifice to it, in a sense, our time, our energy, our, our hopes. We come and pour ourselves out to it with the expectation that it is going to meet our deepest needs, that it's going to meet us in our place of need. If you love money, your possessions and the things that your money can purchase, you will look to your money and the things that it can purchase to meet not just your temporal needs of food and clothing and basic security, you will look to it to meet your heart's deepest needs, your, your need for, for ultimate security, not just temporal security. Your, your need for ultimate approval. Your need to be loved and liked. You look to your money, to, to your, your need to be a success, to actually have purpose, a purposeful challenge in your life by which you can be measured as success. You will look to your money to meet that need, your need for comfort and joy. You'll come to look to your money to meet your heart's deepest needs in this area. See, when you treasure your treasure, you bury your heart in that treasure, and then you ask that treasure to meet your heart's most fundamental needs. In other ways, put that is is that you're asking your treasure um, to do for you what only God can do to be for you what only God can be. So that image of burying your heart in your treasure is a powerful image of of investment, right? You look to your wealth to do for you what only God can do. And if you're burying it in your possessions, in your capital, in your wealth, you are placing your hope in a very foolish place. Because moth will destroy, decay will happen, 
and the thief will break in and rob you of joy and hope and security and purpose because money cannot do for you what only God can do. Your possessions, your influence, your, your luxuries, they can't do it, right? We look to our money to, to give us security. But here's the thing. Money can only give you the illusion of security, right? I mean, you have a big, it's like, if I could just get, th- some of you, if I could just get $500 in the bank, then I would be secure. If I could just get three months savings in the bank, then I'd be secure. If I could just get a year saving, then I would be secure. You look to your money to, to provide you security. The problem is it's an illusion of security because you can have all the money in the world and then suddenly something happens and you realize that you're powerless to actually be secure in the face of, of things like relational changes and, and health disruptions and, and, and different kinds of catastrophes or invasive difficulties that have nothing to do with it. It's an illusion of security. You're asking money to do what only God can do and all it can give you is an illusion of it. Money cannot give you security. It can't make you successful either. Right? Some people look to their money to ultimately um, measure their success. The problem is it's the wrong scorecard. Right? You can have a lot of money. You can... You can have the right car and you can live in the right house and you can wear the right watch and the right shoes and you can be in the right circles and impress the right people, but it's the wrong scorecard. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are people in our society because we're obsessed with money and fame. There are people who actually get everything they hope to get and it never turns out to be what they needed it to be. I mean, how many examples do we need of people spiraling into self-destruction simply because of the despair that comes over their soul when they get everything they thought they needed and it wasn't what they needed? Money gives you the illusion of success because it makes people admire you and it makes you have people envy you and, and, and that, that, that just is an illusion of what you really need, which is genuine purpose and challenge fulfilled and genuine success. Money gives you the illusion, but not the reality. We turn to our money to give us pleasures. And, and let's be honest, money can give us pleasure, right? I mean, if we have enough money, we can take the vacation. If we have enough money, we can take that vacation, not just a, a road trip to the camping, unless that's your thing. Um, but you can go, you know, you can go to the Bahamas. You can go down and, and snorkel with, with uh, sharks. You can, you can go overseas. You can, you know, if you have money, you can, you can buy the car and actually have working air conditioning. If you have money, you can, you can upgrade the home and actually have two bathrooms, right? Um, so the kids aren't driving you crazy. I mean, there, there are so many things money can do for you. And you're like, man, if I could just get there, then that comfort, that level of comfort would finally be met. But here's, here's the thing, you guys. Money can give us pleasure, but it can't give us joy. It can only give us the illusion of joy. And what ends up happening is, is we use our pleasures to distract ourselves from our lack of joy. We, we, we set our hopes on the next vacation. We set our hopes on the next home improvement. We set our hopes on, on if, when we just get that car. And, and then you get it, and it's so exciting in the moment. And then you're like, okay, that didn't deeply meet my soul's need for joy. <laughs> uh, I guess I better find something else to hope for. Because it can only give you the illusion, not the reality. It can distract you 
from your lack of joy while you slip into a life of quiet desperation and boredom. Here's the thing, you guys. When Jesus says, don't treasure your treasure, he's not giving us financial advice. He is giving us spiritual insight into the way we are wired. Don't get greedy for the wrong things. It is a fool's investment of your life. So how do we not do this? Because our hearts are naturally bent that way. I don't know if you've noticed it. I mean, from the time you're a little kid, you you set your hope on the next thing you're going to get or the next event that's going to come or the next, you know what I'm saying? And then it comes and you're like, that was great. Now it wasn't really that great. I'm looking forward to the next thing, right? And and we're, we're surrounded by a culture that is incredibly materialistic, right? We are a consumer culture. So it's always the next experience, the next meal, the next gadget, the next toy, the next phone, the next, right? And so we're constantly in this culture of being fed this idea that you, you just have to constantly, it's almost like we bought into this, this idea that there is no joy. There's only the hope of it. And so we settle for that. Right? As long as there's something more for me to look forward to, as long as there's another iPhone coming out, as long as there's another. How do we get out of the rat race? How do we get off that treadmill? How do we not treasure our treasure? Well, here's the thing. First of all, you just can't stop. You can't just say to your heart, stop that, because your heart's going to say that doesn't compute. That doesn't make no sense. You know why? Because your heart has deep needs. God wired those needs into you. Needs for approval and needs for security and needs for success and needs for comfort and joy. Those needs are there and they are going to lust and crave and call out for fulfillment. So the key isn't to stop being greedy. It's to channel that greed, that lust, that deep desire to what actually fulfills. You need to bury your hope in the right place. Take a look at verse 20. In verse 20, Jesus says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Or in other words, treasure your heavenly treasure. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what does this mean and how we do it? Well, I've heard, uh, you know, obviously a lot of, and I'm sure you have teaching on this passage. And there are those that would combine this with some other, um, I don't know, bad theology, I guess. You know, John 15, where it's Jesus says, look, I go ahead of you and to prepare a mansion for you. And they say, look, God's, Jesus went ahead of you and he's building you this great big house. And when you do good works, you're basically sending riches ahead to furnish that house so that when you get there, it will be well appointed, right? So you are laying aside treasures in heaven as you do good works now. And, 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 and that's going to accumulate to all of these and the golden crowns or whatever they end up saying that it is. And, and then you're going to get there and somehow you're going to be walking through this spiritual neighborhood and you're going to be like, oh man, I should have done more good work. This guy has a spiritual sunroom. I don't have a spiritual sunroom, right? And, and it's, it's just foolishness. It's just foolishness. This is, that has nothing to do with the gospel. Um, What we're talking about here is not shifting our affections from earthly treasure to heavenly treasure as if there were an earthly gold that's bad to lust after, but a heavenly gold that is good to lust after. What we're talking about is treasuring what is ultimately worth treasuring. What we're talking about is actually burying our hearts in the ultimate treasure of the universe. What is the heavenly treasure that we are to treasure. It's Jesus. 
all of his glory, in all of his love, in all of his humility, in all of his meekness, in all of his power, in all of his splendor. It's Jesus. Paul, when he was talking to the Colossians, was unpacking this idea and he was trying to get across the preeminence of Christ. And, and he's saying, what's the mystery at the heart of this whole, this whole, what's the mystery at the heart of the whole universe? What's the mystery at the heart of all of our desires? He said, very simply, it's this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know why? Because your deepest needs were designed to be met in God. Your heart was designed to be buried in God, not in your wealth. And when our hearts are buried in the right place, we're asking the right person to fulfill our deepest needs. To lay up treasures in heaven means to realign our affections to what is truly worthy of those affections. What will not only protect our hearts, but pay back true and meaningful dividends of joy and purpose, of affirmation and love. So he isn't saying stop being greedy. He's saying get greedy, but get greedy for the right things, for a deeper experience of grace, for an expanded capacity for joy, for a realigned and meaningful hope, for a real purpose that drives real uh, uh, work toward real achievement. Stop chasing shadow goals. Stop pursuing things that ultimately don't have meaning or lasting worth. Align your heart with what is true and eternal. In other words, pursue the love of God and the kingdom of God. Go deep in your experience of grace. Grow in your love for God and his glory. Because God's grace is a secure place for you to bury your heart. the God of the universe, the sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe who created you in his own image for the overflow of his goodness loves you and invites you through the work of Christ to rest in him instead of in your idols, to delight in him instead of your man-centered kingdom, to come into his kingdom and delight in his glory instead of your own. See, when you bury your heart in God's grace, you get greedy for a deeper and more more profound experience of his love. Uh, You ever had an unexpected experience of affection when somebody shows you appreciation? They give you a word of love. They extend to you a level of grace you know and in a situation you didn't deserve. What does that do to your soul? What does that awaken within you? A desire for more. (laughs) We love to be loved. In fact, we have an insatiable desire to be loved because we were actually created to be loved by the source of love himself. As we sit in the love of God, it awakens us. It it, it awakens a lust and a desire, a healthy and good lust and desire for more of God, of his love for us, his delight in us, his grace to us. And as that happens, it changes our affections and it changes our hearts. And we come to see that the greatest riches in the universe are not money or possessions or cars or houses or external signs of opulence. The greatest treasure in the universe is the experience of loving and being loved. That is the greatest commodity in the kingdom of God. And there is nothing that is worth more. 
So we need to grow greedy for more grace. We need to grow greedy for a deeper experience of God's love, for a clearer vision of God's glory and how that glory meets us in very real sense in our deepest needs here and now. So in the coming weeks, we're going to be unpacking how we do this practically, right? I, I, Matthew 6 has really come to life for me, and I'm really looking forward to unpacking these principles as we start talking practically. What does it look for, like for us to realign our affections, to come to life in the right ways? We're going to be talking about how we can grow greedy <laughs> for the right things in the right ways. And we're going to talk about how generosity is one of God's um, gifts to us to help us realign our affections. How generosity is an expression both of gratitude toward God, but it's also spiritual warfare against our own selfishness and desire to build our own kingdoms. God will invite us into the flow of generosity. As a generous God, he calls us to be generous. And how that generosity is part of God's plan for freeing our hearts from the wrong kind of greed. So here's the thing. I believe that in every challenge there is a hidden opportunity. And I said at the beginning, there is a challenge in front of us as a body. There is a challenge, a very real and practical challenge in front of us. Um, God's given us a building. And we need to raise some money to get into it and to maximize our use of that space. We need to raise $100,000 over the next um, four weeks in pledges over, you know, it's a, finishing out the, uh, the capital campaign. So people either increasing their pledges or coming in for the first time for the last year and a half, and we're seeing that go from, from 550 to 650. Here's the thing. If we can raise 150,000, that will equip us not just to get the renovation done, but to do all the little extras that we eventually are going to need to do, like new, new seating and, and a sign out front and, and things like that. So I'm excited. I'm excited about the building. I'm excited about the opportunity to put down roots in this community so that we can grow in ministry to our neighbors. I'm even more excited about how God's going to use this challenge to shape our hearts hmm. and to free us because we don't just want a building. We want to be the right people to inhabit that building, people that are going to be in the flow of generosity of God's grace to be a blessing to others even as we are blessed by God. So I'm going to ask you two things as we kind of wrap up. The first, I'm going to ask you, will you, will you please pray with us? that God will, in fact, provide the money we need and that he will do it in the next month. That God will provide us with uh, a pledge of 100000 at least 100000 more um, over the next year and a half to our capital campaign. Will you pray that, that um, in his generosity, it'll even be more that will equip us to do the other things that we want to do with this space? Here's the thing. The money's nothing to God, Right? But God has designed it in such a way that he doesn't just write a check. He works through his people. And so we need to pray that God will move us to generosity, that God will move us to a place of joyful um, sacrifice where we are um, giving up some temporal pleasure, maybe some temporal security for something that is going to um, have an impact that goes well beyond um, our temporal scheme. So pray with us. Um, and the second thing is I'm going to ask you to pray that God will um, ultimately shape our hearts through this process and your heart. Here's the thing. You should be jealous for a greater experience of joy. You should not be content with your current Christian experience. You should not be content with your current experience of the grace of God. 
You have all the grace of God. You are not experiencing all the grace of God. You have all the riches of Christ. You are not experiencing all the riches of Christ. None of us are. We are progressively moving into a greater and greater experience of the love and the grace of God. Will you pray that God will use this as an opportunity for you to grow in your experience of joy and grace, even as he moves us to generosity? All right, I'm going to put some uh, reflection questions up on the screen. We're going to create some space. I'm going to ask you to pray and let God speak to your heart. Um, and, uh, and we're going to share communion in a moment. Uh, before we do, I want to remind you that we have worship response cards in our bulletin. Um, we would love it if you would fill those out. Let us know you were here. If you have a prayer request, put them on there. We pray with, and, and with you and for you um, every week and, and would love to hear from you. If you're a guest with us, let us know how you got here. We would be very helpful to us. Um, but just go ahead and fill those in. We have response boxes up front and by the door that you can drop those in. Um, if you're a first time guest with us, we do have a gift for you at connection point, which is the table right out in the lobby. Please feel free to swing by there. Um, we're not going to take pictures of you and track you down. That's not what's going on. Uh, we just want to say thanks and and honor you and give you something that we think is going to be a blessing to you. Okay. And so go ahead and swing by there. We'd be happy to, to give you that gift. Let me pray for us. We'll go into a time of response and we will share communion in a moment. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that um, generosity isn't something you do, it's what you are. In the same way that love isn't something you do, it's the essence of who you are. That because you love, you give. (laughs) And because you're wired to love and give, we are, as those who were created in your image. Father, I pray that you'll move our hearts to genuinely delight in what is genuinely delightful. That we will come to have just deep, lasting, unshakable joy. Because our greatest problem has already been solved and our greatest debt has already been paid. Because a hundred years from now, we're not going to be talking about the temporal struggles we face, we're going to be talking about the eternal treasures of love and joy and beauty that are ours because of the work of Christ. Man, light us up with that joy. And then from that place of fullness, that place of overflowing joy, move our hearts to generosity. Meet our need, Lord. You're the one that can do it and move our hearts to do it. So Spirit, we thank you that you are here, that you are working, and that part of your purpose in all of this is not simply to equip us to move forward, but to change us in the process. We thank you for Jesus.